What's up, fellas? It's your boy Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your guy on Twitter at MMA LOTN. And we are back for the second edition of the MMA DFS show on my guy Sal Vetri's channel. Shout out to Sal as always. Um, yeah, the first one was a success. You know, I mean, it came together on relatively short notice, and I was happy to to get the content out for you guys, and and happy to 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 see the reception that I got as well too. So, shout out to all the fellas that were supporting your boy. Uh, everybody hopping on the lock of the night train as well now too. Big thank you to you guys for sure. It, it is true warm welcome for that first edition but we're right back at it now we got eight straight weekends of events coming up right now starting with this weekend uh with ufc vegas 18 headlined by alistair Overeem and alexander volkov a uh, great heavyweight fight and we got a ton of great fights on the undercard as well this entire week has been crazy in terms of um you know, dropouts, late replacements, and normally what me and Sal were uh, scheduling this to come out for is usually Thursday afternoon, uh, however, you know, which would mean I would record on Wednesday evenings, but we still didn't get salaries for the three new fights that we got booked. Thankfully, they came out earlier today, so I'm sitting my butt down and, and getting this info out to you guys now, and hopefully you guys are able to get uh, get to it as soon as possible. Uh, first and foremost, just going to plug myself real quick again, Twitter at MMALOTN. I'm on the IG as well, too, in case you guys are on the IG game, MMALOTN on there. And then obviously my own YouTube channel where I drop my own podcast every Monday from a betting perspective. Again, all the DFS stuff is going to be here, but in terms of betting stuff, it's all going to be on my own channel, MMALOTN on YouTube as well, as well. Um, Sal will be putting the uh, the the links to all that stuff in the description below. Lastly, I do want to plug my Patreon as well too. Again, it's all betting related stuff. You guys get a best bets and props article, uh, early access to my breakdowns whenever I I drop those. As soon as I finish recording them, I throw them up on on my Patreon. Uh, there's a solid Discord channel in there with a solid community. Uh, and yeah, we have well, we're close to the 210 to 220 Patreon mark right now. And again, it's only five bucks a month, super cheap uh, and very very uh, helpful, insightful, and a great community on there as well too. So shout out to everybody. Secondly, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor for the show, Monkey Knife Fight. I talked about them last week. Um, I believe I cashed the, uh, the the under on the McGregor significant strikes, even though he was the one that ended up getting knocked out. And then the other pick that I gave you guys was Otman Azatar. Obviously, we know the shenanigans he got himself into and wasn't end up uh, didn't end up competing that night. Uh, so we only got one of those. But I do have another one for you guys at the end of the show here. Remember, the promo code is UFC50. And again, Monkey Knife Fight, it's a player prop site. So for UFC specifically, they give you uh, a number that you got to hit for over-unders for significant strikes or for total fantasy points. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's a very fun, creative game and a good spin on the whole DFS world. And I'm a big fan of it too. And uh, once again, if you guys sign up using the promo code UFC50, you guys will get a 100% match all the way up to 50 bucks on your initial deposit. Again, the link is in the description below. Uh, check it out. Great site. Uh, huge fan of them. I'm definitely going to be following them a little bit more uh, and, and giving you guys some tips. Again, if you guys watch to the end of the show, I'll give you guys my two sp spots for uh, Monkey Knife Fight for this upcoming week. And hopefully both of them stay intact so you guys can actually tell both of them. But uh, we'll see what, what happens. Uh, so stay tuned to the end of the show. All right. Let's get this show on the road. Let's get into the breakdowns. That's what you guys are here for, and I'm happy to break them down for you guys. I'm going to be talking about this card a lot throughout the week, so I'm going to do my best to make sure I hit all of my points uh, that I want to get to for this card. So let's start off right at the bottom of the card. We got, uh, actually, you know what? You know the 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 um, the order of the card has been flip-flopping so much because with all the changes. We literally had, I think, three or four changes within the last 48 hours, so... Uh, 
that's something to keep in mind. All right. So the first fight on the card, according to Topology, that's my holy grail when it comes to MMA stuff. Uh, we got Ode Osborne against Jerome Rivera. This is a short notice fight as well. We had Ode Osborne originally scheduled to fight Dennis Bondera, who was a UFC newcomer. And uh, he was a you know minus 170 favorite in that fight. Here we got Ode Osborne now coming in as the favorite. Uh, I believe he is, uh, what's his price tag at? They got him coming in at 7,800, and we got Jerome Rivera at 7,500. Um, I th- uh, so I'm siding with Jerome Rivera here, as I believe that there's too many question marks out there regarding Ode Osborne. He's a guy that uh, goes out there, and he still has, um, uh, you know, his last six fights have only gone in the first round, only ended in the first round. He's 4-2 uh, and two in that stretch, uh, getting finished twice, and then obviously uh, finishing his opponents twice as well. But my question is, when fights get pushed further, and they get into the second and third rounds, how does this guy look? So the question marks regarding him are a little bit too much for me right now to really go out there and um, uh, and, and and invest in this guy. At least from a betting perspective, I, I have question marks about him. He could be live for a first-round finish here. Um, Jerome Rivera did get knocked out by Tyson Am about two fights ago, but he showed solid durability in his last fight against the the brother of the flyweight champion. Uh, we got Francisco Figueiredo in that fight, who seemed to be throwing with a little bit of heat himself too, uh, but uh, was a little bit um, let down with what we saw from Jerome Rivera in that fight. So this fight, all in all, is a very big question mark for me because I feel like Jerome Rivera has more skills that we've seen uh, than we've actually seen from him in his last two fights. Uh, again, his first round against Tyson Am was as picture perfect as you could in terms of uh, doing damage, winning a round, and not getting knocked out by a guy like Tyson Ambu, who hits very, very hard. And then unfortunately for him, in that second round, he l- runs into a bomb and gets knocked out there. I'm not sure if Ode Osborne is going to have that power to put him out right away. His Most of his victories have been coming via submission. And Jerome Rivera, I think credentially is a better jiu-jitsu player at this point in time. So I think that's going to be an intriguing uh, aspect in terms of how this fight plays out. I'm so stumped in terms of how to play it. Um, my pick is Jerome Rivera. I think he's going to go the full 15 minutes and kind of outpoint O'Day. I'm, I, I hate to assume, but uh, we've only seen O'Day Osborne go to a decision twice in his pro MMA career. He won a split decision and then he lost a unanimous decision, but I just don't have access to that footage. So it's a little bit hard for me to come to a conclusion in terms of whether this guy's gas tank is any good. Because this, if this fight gets stretched, it's going to get a little bit iffy. He could be live for a first-round finish, but I'd be surprised if he uh, submitted a guy like Jerome Rivera, who's pretty crafty on the ground himself. So I'm going to be forced to side on the Jerome Rivera side. I think he wins this fight via decision, probably just racks up a bunch of significant strikes and good points. Um, I'm not 100% sure how effective he'll be from a DFS point of view. Uh, you know what I mean, this could be a very close fight either way. So I, I don't mind people even potentially... I don't want to say stack this fight again. I The only fight that I would ever consider stacking is a five-round main event because you have 25 minutes for both guys to go out there and rack up points, an extra 10 minutes over anybody else on the card, right? Uh, so yeah, in terms of a pick, I'll go with Jerome Rivera here. I think he wins by decision, but uh, very, very big question marks uh, regarding this fight for sure. All right, let's move along to the next one. We got... Uh, Yusuf Zalaw versus Sungwoo Choi. In terms of uh, salaries here, we got Zalaw coming in at 9,100, and we got Choi coming in in that uh, 7,100 range. Uh, another one kind of put together relatively short notice. I believe Choi was uh, initially scheduled to fight. Who was he supposed to fight? Uh, I'm not sure why it's uh, escaping me at this point in time, but he was scheduled to fight somebody else. In steps, Yusuf Zalal, who, uh, you know, wants to get back on track. He lost his initial fight to, yeah, sorry, uh, 
Sung Woo Choi was fighting another UFC newcomer in Colin Anglin. But Yusuf Zal, uh, coming off a loss to Ilya Tupori, who, in my opinion, a top five fighter waiting to just waiting for his opportunity. He just needs to fight a little bit more, and we'll see that this guy is a high, high level. And uh, Yusuf Zal shouldn't really hang his head too low, uh, especially losing to a guy like that. But Zalaw went out there last year, made his debut in February at UFC 248, I believe it was. Uh, pulled off a win as an underdog against Austin Lingo and was able to uh, put together a three-fight winning streak in the UFC before running into Ilya Taporia back in October. Now, I think he's truly set on getting back onto his winning ways here against uh, Sung Woo Choi, who seems to have a, a solid Muay Thai advantage. The guy's pretty big for the division as well, too. So that's something people need to to, to look at as well. But I also think that the historical data on Sung Woo Choi is very much skewed because his first two fights in the UFC were against very, very tough opponents. You got a guy in Mobzar Ivluev who could be fighting for a title in the next year and a half. And then you have Gavin Tucker, who's a great fighter himself, too. Uh, he does get, pick up a victory over Suman Mokhtarian in his last fight, but I truly believe that uh, Suman Mokhtarian is, was one of the worst fighters ever in the UFC. So uh, the fact that Choi wasn't able to get him out of there gives me a little bit of pause. Uh, you know, I, I feel like if Sungun Choi really is as good as people are making him out to be, he should have finished a guy like Suman. So uh, again, uh, here against Yusuf Zalaw, I do think the odds are wide uh, from from a betting perspective. I think 9,100 on Yusuf is a little bit too crazy as well. You know, I mean, I think that this is going to be a little bit more of a challenging fight for him uh, compared to anything that we've seen uh, him go up against in the past. Um, you know, the, the, the last time we saw Yusuf Zalaw go out there and fight, uh, I just want to give you guys the numbers correctly. Uh, his, da, 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 da. his fight with um, Jordan Griffin is the one that kind of stands out to me. I'm just trying to pull up the points here. There we go. Uh, against Jordan Griffin, he he got 68.7 points. You know what I mean? His win over Peter Berry, he got 94.6 points. That's another fight. Just like Choi against Mokhtarian, a lot of people are expecting Zalal to finish Peter Barrett. Austin Lingo, he puts up about 88 points. I'm expecting it to look closer to the Jordan Griffin fight where he lands maybe in the mid-60 range uh, in terms of points because this is going to be a much tougher fight for him than the odds currently suggest. I wouldn't suggest, uh, you know, parlaying Zalal at that minus 240 range as I believe that Troy will give him a little bit of issues on the feet, but I think it ultimately comes down to the takedowns of uh, Zalal and, and mixing it up from an MMA perspective rather than just trying to go out there, outmaneuver and outwork this guy. Um, I think he's really going to have to lean on takedowns as I think that Troy can make it very, very difficult for him in the clinch and in the stand-up realm if that's where they choose to strike uh, or play out this fight. Um, I don't bang on anybody that wants to go out there and take a shot on Troy. I think he is a live underdog. I think he's one of the liver dogs, especially in DFS as well, at the lower price range. Uh, at that 7,100 mark, I don't think he's a bad shot there. I expect this fight to go the full 15 minutes. So I do expect the significant strikes to start to add up here. And in terms of what we've seen from Troy in terms of points uh, from the past, his one fight against Suman Mokhtarin, he put up 103 points. So... Yeah, obviously his fights against Tucker and Evluev, he goes 24 and 24 there. But again, very, very tough stylistic matchups for him. Here, you're getting Zalal, who who can mix in the takedowns, but he doesn't have a good, uh, as good of a takedown game as a guy like Mozart Evluev, right? So this could be a close fight. Um, you, you'll see when I get to my fate of the night segment later that I, I'm not the highest on Zalal in this spot, but I do think Zalal wins. Uh, but I think it's going to be a much tighter fight than we'll see the odds and the salaries suggest as well, too. All right, let's keep things moving along. We got uh, Molly McCann against uh, Laura Procopio. In terms of salaries, we got Molly McCann coming in at 8500 and Laura Procopio coming in around 7700 
Yeah, 7,700. Now, this is a solid dog spot, in my opinion. I really like Lara Procopio in the spot. Uh, it's pretty much a striker versus grappler. Uh, but if people strictly focus on the last thing that they saw regarding Lara Procopio, which was her fight against Carol Hosa, who also fights later on this card, um, they're not going to be as turned on to her in terms of thinking that she's going to be a live dog. Now, let's take into consideration that even in a loss where she got outstruck by her opponent, she was still able to go out there and put up 168 strikes. Uh, in terms of a, a, a losing effort and putting up numbers, uh, she still put up 67.5 points uh, for DFS uh, in her last fight against Carol Rojosa. And that was a fight that primarily took place on the feet, as I believe that one, she was fighting up a weight class. It was her UFC debut. And uh, three, I do believe that... Um, uh, her now being down at 125 pounds, we will see uh, what uh, allowed her to go undefeated on the regional realm, which is closing the distance, uh, initiating the body lock, and getting her opponent to the ground, and working her jujitsu. And that's why I think that she's a solid spot here, as I think she will land takedowns. I'm not the biggest believer in uh, Molly McCann's takedown defense. I believe it's only at 33, 33% right now. Um, and uh, again, yeah, people are just going to have this image of Procopio of like her shooting desperation takedowns against Carol Hosa. And then even in that fight, like she's just shooting them from distance and she was already beat up a little bit. Whereas here, I expect her to, you know, maybe play on the feet a little bit. I don't think Molly McCann has a striking of Carol Hosa, nor do I think that she has the knockout power, uh, you know, that would cause Procopio too many tr- too much trouble. Um, so I expect Procopio to close the distance, get this fight to the ground, uh, you know, add some control time. But I think she's very live for a submission as well, too, which is why I think she's one of my favorite dogs on the card as well, uh, as I do think we'll get some uh, finishing points off of her here. Whether it comes in the first round or second round, I'm not 100% sure, but I truly think that she's going to come through as a dog here. Uh, and I really like her. Personally, I played her as a, as a bet of mine as well. I got her at plus 140, thought there was a ton of value there. And it seems like the public is starting to see it as well, too, as we're starting to see her around that plus 130 plus 125 range but uh yeah i like procopio here i don't think molly mccann is the greatest you know a lot of people are uh riding her coattails after she threw on a singlet and wrestled uh you know just wrestled uh diana belbita to death but we're talking about belbita who has no ground game no takedown defense whatsoever and even herself as a striker in her next fight goes out there and takes down a grappler and gets armbarred herself you know what i mean not not the greatest thing that you want to see from a, from an opponent so for molly mccann to do that to, to belbita and now people thinking that she's this amazing wrestler i think it's just absolutely crazy and we obviously see it uh saw it in the next fight against tyler santos who just absolutely wrecked her in that fight. Now, I'm not saying that Procopia is going to wreck her to the level of uh, Tyler Santos, as I believe that Santos has much better striking, but I think that Procopia has passable striking, but I think it ultimately comes down to her getting takedowns, which I think she will be successful with. Again, I've seen a lot of body lock trip takedowns that Procopia has completed in the past, uh, and definitely uh, takedowns that, uh, you know, McCann has succumbed to in the in the past as well, too. So, uh, yeah, I, I like Procopio. Uh, I think she wins this fight via submission. I think she's a very, very live dog in this spot. All right, let's keep the train moving. We got uh, somebody I just spoke about, Carol Hosa, coming again against uh, Jocelyn Edwards. In terms of salaries, we got Carol Hosa coming in at the 8,700 range, and we got Jocelyn Edwards coming in at the 7,500 range. Now, this is a great fight. This is a very, very fun fight because um, Jocelyn Edwards is somebody that I'm very high on. However, I think that this is uh, a little bit difficult of, uh, of a matchup for her. She fought somebody similar last time around in Wu Yunnan, and I say similar in terms of uh, a very volume-heavy striker, but I think that host is a little bit more, not a little bit more, a lot more refined than uh, Wu Yunnan. 
you know, Carol Hosa, again, she's had two fights now in the UFC, uh, totaling close to 108, uh, 11 uh, points in the first fight, 109 points in the other fight. Um, she's going out there and throwing 200-plus strikes a fight, uh, landing almost 170 or 140, whatever it is, some crazy numbers. She's just absolutely amazing with her volume and her output, and her technique is just amazing as well, too, which really allows her to continuously uh, move forward and batter her opponents. And when it comes down to it, I think she's able to get the fight to the ground when she needs to. She's a solid, I believe she's a black belt at this point, if not at worst a brown belt. But I think she has the chops to kind of control Jocelyn Edwards if this fight does hit the ground as well too. Now, Edwards seems a little bit more wild. She, you know, a solid Muay Thai striker, likes to use her elbows, very aggressive at times, uh, very uh, offensive guard as well too. But I wonder how that plays into, uh, you know, Carol Hosa's game, who is a very high-level jiu-jitsu player herself as well. Uh, Eileen Hosa. Uh, I don't mind the price tag that she's at uh, in terms of DFS. Uh, on the on the betting side, it's getting a little bit out of whack. Like I was kind of hoping that it would stay around that minus 170 range. Uh, however, it's all the way up to minus 220 the last time I saw. Um, but in terms of a DFS spot, I think that she's a solid spot here. Um, you know, you, you might want to have a little bit of Jocelyn Edwards just in case, but I do think that this could be a, a quintessential Carol Hosa type performance where we see her go out there and just completely outstrike uh, Jocelyn Edwards, landing the combinations, ending with vicious leg kicks. Like, she's a she's a mean striker, and uh, we've definitely seen her in the last two fights. Now we're seeing her against somebody who is a little bit more offensive-minded compared to her last two fighters, uh, but uh, I, I still think that we see Carol Hosa go out there and uh, put on a solid striking performance. This could be, like, a sleeper for fight of the night because of Jocelyn Edwards' uh, forward style and her aggressive style, but I think it's going to play perfectly into Carol Hosa's game in terms of her getting lit up and uh, and taking home a decision victory. So I think we'll see uh, Hosa land, uh, you know, maybe put up similar points to, to what we've seen in her past uh, and uh, put on a solid striking performance and go on to win a unanimous decision. All right, let's keep the train moving along. Let's move on to our fifth fight. We got Justin James against Devontae Smith. Uh, in the main event, or sorry, not the main event, what am I talking about? Uh, Devontae Smith is coming in at 9,200, and the payback on, uh, or the comeback on Justin James is 7,000. Uh, in terms of odds, we got uh, minus 300 for Devontae Smith, plus 250 for Justin James. Um, this is a tricky one, because... <sighs> I favor Devontae Smith strictly due to his physical attributes. We're talking about uh, the faster striker, the bigger striker, um, you know, more explosive, more athletic. Um, yeah, is able to cover range a little bit better. Um, and obviously he was the one preparing to fight this weekend compared to Justin James who's coming in on short notice, um, you know, who asked for this fight to be at a 160-pound catch weight because he wouldn't have been able to make it down to 155 pounds uh, and then makes it, you know, th- there's just so many factors to, to take into consideration here. The last time we saw Justin James come in on short notice was his UFC debut against Frank Camacho, where he knew, okay, I don't have that much of a gas tank. Let me go out there and just empty it real quick. If I knock this guy out, great. If I don't, at least I get another shot in the UFC. That's what he's probably coming into this fight with. You know what I mean? That mentality of, uh, going out there and and just going balls to the wall. Now I can work against him, and he could be the one sleeping and, and getting knocked out. Uh, but it could pay off for him too against a Devonte Smith, who's coming back back after after a knockout loss, uh, where he was coming in as like a minus one thousand favorite. Absolutely insane knockout by uh, Kama Worthy that night. 
but he's had a long time off now. Maybe he's recovered enough. But Justin James, you got to give it to him. The guy still throws a bunch of heat. He just has a huge reach disadvantage to overcome here. Um, you know, again, a speed and strength disadvantage that he has to overcome. And then obviously the short notice nature of this fight. Now, Devontae Smith could be that slate breaker. You know what I mean, he could be that guy that gets knocked out in that first and does not live up to that 9,200. But then again, he could live up to that 9200 and get that first round knockout himself too. Now, the two finishes that Justin James did succumb to in his fights in the UFC were a body uh, knee to the body by Gabriel Benitez last time around, and then before that, he got uh, he pretty much his gas tank was absolutely drained um, in that Gavin Tucker fight, and then Tucker took full advantage of it, rocked him, dropped him, and then finished him via submission. So we've never seen Justin James actually put clean out in the UFC, which could be a little bit of a concern here. Maybe he is durable, like his chin could take some shots, and maybe he catches Devontae Smith on a on a counter here. And that's my that's my concern here. That's why I'm like, ooh, like Devontae, he could be on the winning lineup. He could be optimal here in terms of just, you know, getting that first round knockout and and, and racking up those big points. Uh, but Justin James could be that guy. Like like the last card, UFC 257 had how many underdogs come through? You know what I mean? And Justin James, I'm I'm the biggest Justin James fader out there. You know what I mean? I lock of the night played both of the last guys against him, and thankfully it worked out for me. But this one, I just have this queasy feeling about it. So I'll take Devontae Smith, but with absolute caution here, as I do think that Justin James could absolutely put this guy's lights out. Like all he has is just winging hooks, moving forward, crashing forward, knowing he's gonna have to get hit on the way in. But uh, yeah, James could James could put this guy's lights out. That's what leaves me concerned here. So if you are one of those guys that builds like 150 lineups or something like that, I would highly recommend putting Justin James in a couple of them as I believe that he could spring an upset. He has the power to spring the upset. He's done it in the past. Uh, and Devontae Smith has a lot of question marks still. Uh, but yeah, I expect whoever wins this fight to put up a bunch of numbers. Uh, so it would be nice to uh, kind of be covered on both sides. You might want to have a little bit more of Devontae Smith and James. But uh, I, yeah, I, again, I, I'm strictly siding with James because I feel like he's going to be faster to the punch. He could be the bigger power puncher. Um, and uh, yeah, his his range should help him in this aspect as well too. From a betting perspective though, I'd just take the under one and a half and call it a day. That's, that's about it. But I'll go with Devontae Smith to win this fight via uh, first round knockout. All right, let's keep it going. We got Tamora Valive against Martin Day, another fight that got put together on very short notice. We got Tamora Valive coming in at 9,300 and Martin Day coming in at 6,900. In terms of odds, I think we got about minus 350, minus 370 for Tamora Valive and plus 310 for Martin Day. Now, I think that this is a, a walk in the park type of fight for Tamora Valive. I think this is a fight where we see him go out there and pretty much win this fight uh, in any way that he wants. Um, I, I'm not sure if he'll 100% finish this guy as I feel like we'll see him be a little bit more cautious given the fact that he got knocked out last time. But I think if anything, we'll see him um, be cautious due to um, playing it safe, uh, but also to kind of maintain his gas tank because that truly is the reason that I think he got knocked out. Like if you guys remember his fight with Trevin Jones, goes out there, uh, you know, hurts him to the body and literally throws everything, including the kitchen sink at this guy and is still not able to pull him out. And you see him really huffing and puffing, really starting to take deep breaths. And that's where he uh, kind of just, I think that's where at the point that he lost his fight is where, uh, you know, his gas tank was compromised. Trevin Jones saw it. He took advantage of it, landed a good shot and followed up with some 
punches there. That's not Valiev's style. Like Valiev is normally a guy that's able to go out there and grind these guys out. He's able to go out there and you know win decisions. He is a winner. He's a winner via decision. He has a couple of finishes on his record as well too. But normally you see him go out there and grind guys out. He's not a guy that just overexerts himself trying to finish somebody. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe he got a little bit overzealous against Trevin Jones last time around. It was his UFC debut. Saw an opening, he went balls to the wall, never paid off for him. Now, for people that don't watch the sport as closely, uh, that fight isn't technically on his record anymore as the fight got changed to a no contest as Trevin Jones popped for marijuana uh, leading into that fight. Let's take into consideration the fact that Trevin Jones took that fight on very short notice, so I'm sure the guy was probably baked when he signed the contract. Uh, But uh, can you blame the guy? I I feel sorry for him because I think he got a bonus that night, but he's not eligible for it anymore because he failed a test. Regardless... I think that Tamora Valiev styles on Martin Day here. I'll talk about uh, Martin Day real quick here. The guy's a skilled striker, very technical striker, but makes a lot of bad decisions in the cage. The one fight that I want to bring up is his fight against Davy Grant, which is two fights ago. I believe it was in July when they initially were on Fight Island. And... uh Doing a good job against Davy Grant, but Davy Grant's landing the same goddamn combination on him for about 13 and a half minutes, up until the point that he lands the same combination at that 13 and a half minute mark and knocks Martin Day out. Martin Day does nothing in that amount of time to adjust to that, and he succumbs to the knockout there. Then in his next fight, gets taken down by Anderson Dos Santos, gets back to his feet, but for some reason decides to do a, a ridiculous uh, a slam where he just picks him up over his head, leaving his chin or his neck completely exposed, and we see uh, the black belt in Anderson Dos Santos snatch up his neck and uh, take home a guillotine victory. So uh, Martin Day, I think he's doing a favor for the UFC here in terms of just taking this fight so that he can uh, you know, maybe save his job or, or get back onto the winning track. But this is a very, very bad stylistic matchup for him. I don't see him knocking out Tamor Valiev. I think uh, people might be reading into Valiev and knocked out last time around a little bit too much. And I think they're overlooking the fact that the guy was just absolutely gassed trying to finish this guy, um, which is a almost a common theme with other fighters on this card, which I'll get into later. But uh, yeah, I think that Valiev is a winner. This is a fight that will definitely allow him to, to get that victory as well. Does he finish day? Not 100% sure. He is live for a finish. Uh, and I think he has uh, optimal opportunity to to live up to his, uh, to his uh, price tag as well here. So I wouldn't mind people, uh, you know, having to dig a little bit lower because I, I think that there are a solid amount of dogs here that you could, you know, um, supplement and actually take Valiev at that high number. Uh, but yeah, I think that Valiev is going to be a high scorer here. Uh, and I think he runs through Martin Day. I'll go by decision just to be the, on the safe side, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him go out there and pull off uh, a submission either. So uh, I got Valiev to win this fight via decision. All right. Next up, we got Mike Rodriguez versus Danilo Marquez in terms of salaries. We got Mike Rodriguez coming in at 9,000 and Danilo Marquez coming in at. Danilo Marquez is coming in. Why can't I find this guy's name? Danilo, where you at? Do they even have him listed? There he is. 7,200. Um. So th- this is an intriguing one because there's a lot of people out there trying to go out there and discredit a guy like Mike Rodriguez and saying he's not, you know, he's not trustworthy and this and that. I just need to wet the whistle. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, there's a lot of people trying to discredit him. He's one in three in his last four fights. Now let's just break down those fights real quick here. The first one, John Allen. Sauced to the tits, <laughs> Mr. John Allen, who got popped by USADA pretty much right after that fight. But John Allen 
solid all-around MMA fighter. Not the greatest at one specific discipline, but is able to do a good job of just mixing pretty much every single martial art together and just put on a pace on a guy, especially if he's on the sauce, right? So he loses that fight, the Da Unyung fight. That's two light heavyweights going out there, throwing leather at each other. One of them is going to get knocked out. Unfortunately for Mike Rodriguez, it was him that night. Then his Marcin Pragno fight. That's where we see the true potential of Mike Rodriguez, where he's the one able to get his power shots off. It clinches up perfectly with Marcin Tybura, or sorry, uh, Marcin Pragno, and just elbows him to death, gets a finish there, racks up 110 points there. Then his last fight against Ed Herman. Finishes this guy twice. Now, I'm not blaming Ed Herman uh, or, or the referee or, or whatever happened there because uh, just, just to give a quick breakdown for people that don't know what happened in that fight, Mike Rodriguez hits him to the body with a beautiful shot, clearly to the body. The referee thinks it's a nut shot. So what does Ed Herman do? The veteran, the savvy veteran himself, he plays it up. He's like, he's holding his cup and he's touching it. And Mike Rodriguez is like, what are you talking about? I hit him to the body. And then he doesn't create enough of a stink about it, in my opinion. You clearly see it in the uh, the replays. Uh, but Ed Herman takes his time, gets his wits back about him, uh, gets back into the fight. That's in the second round. So Mike Rodriguez goes on. They go on to the third round. Gets Ed Herman down again and starts smashing him again. There are a ton of referees that probably would have stopped that fight, um, given the amount of damage that Ed Herman was taking at that point in time. The referee wants to see a dead body, apparently. Let's that fight continue. And then Mike Rodriguez, just like Tamora Valiev in the fight that I was talking about before, absolutely gasses himself out trying to finish this guy. In my opinion, he finished him twice. Unfortunately, the fight's continuing to go on. Ed Herman, the vet himself, survives it all, uh, snatches up a Kimura of his own, uh, reverses the position on Mike Rodriguez and gets the victory there. So uh, there's a lot of asterisks with uh, Mike Rodriguez's game. Now, the asterisks on Danilo Marquez's side is that there are none. The guy just sucks. <laughs> like, I hate being so uh, forward about a fighter and just being so uh, dismissive of a fighter. But this guy just, it's very tough watching this guy fight. So he's 35 years old. Uh, sorry, yeah, he, he's 35. He just turned 35 in uh, in December. He's coming off a victory over Khadisi Bregimov. In my fight, I'm going to be saying it all week. That was a fight to determine who the worst fighter in the UFC was. Unfortunately for Khadis, it was Khadis that night. Um, he gets, uh, I think he got cut out from the UFC after that. But Danilo, mainly known as the Jiu-Jitsu guy in Shogun Hua's corner uh, in his last couple of fights. But then again, when's the last time we've seen Shogun Hua pull off any Jiu-Jitsu moves? Um, and then... Uh, also a black belt under Damian Maya. Again, I think that's a, a huge discredit to da- Damian Maya's uh, ranking system. But the guy does not look comfortable on the feet. He's a big dude. I'll give that to him. He's a, he's a tall dude. He's 6'6", 70, 77 and a half inch reach. Um, but he's a, he's a grappler. He wants to get this fight to the ground and he wants to use his jiu-jitsu. But when you, go, when you see him take the fight to the ground, he's just... He's not good. Like his guy, I think, is horrible. Uh, he's having large amounts of trouble trying to finish guys on the regional scene who are like zero and three, five and nine. Uh, he lost to a guy that was six and six. You know what I mean? <laughs> his his second last fight before coming to the UFC was beating a guy that was zero and sixteen. Like, come on, come on. What what is this bullshit? Uh, over four years ago, he fought a guy named Myron Dennis. Uh, longtime UFC fans will remember him for being on the Ultimate Fighter. The guy's a kickboxer himself too. But that was a weird fight where we didn't see Myron really overextend on his punches too much in terms of trying to knock this guy out, as I believe he probably could have. However, I think we'll see Mike Rodriguez complete that. I really like Mike Rodriguez in this spot. I think he's very live for a first-round knockout as well too. I think he's going to go out there and absolutely dummy this guy. 
Um, you know, his his clinch is nasty. His his kicks are nasty. The fact that they're going to be fighting in opposite stances here, I think, is a big big thing. Uh, I believe uh, uh, Rodriguez is the one coming in in his southpaw stance, and we got Danilo Marquez in the orthodox stance. So you bet Mark Rodriguez is going to be tearing up that that lead leg and that out or and that body of uh, Danilo here. And I think it eventually leads to to a finish for Rodriguez. So uh, yeah, I like Rodriguez here. I I'm trying to wrap my head around why people would be playing Danilo, but I get it. Like if he does somehow get top control, sure. But I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think that Rodriguez is as bad as people are making him out to see and saying that he's untrustworthy. Like, it's, it, it's been very shitty situations that he's been a part of in his last couple of fights, especially if he, like, if he realistically actually finished Ed Herman that night, he'd be coming in as, like, a minus 400, minus 500 favorite to, on this fight. You know what I mean? So there's always little things that make these small adjustments to other people. But, uh, yeah, I got uh, Daniel Rodriguez, or sorry, uh, Mike Rodriguez here to win via um, via knockout first round. I think he's going to be scoring high for sure, and I think he's going to be worthy of that price tag as well. All right, next up, we got Michael Johnson versus Clay Guida. You want to talk about untrustworthy fighters. Michael Johnson is suspect numero uno. So Mike, uh, Michael Johnson is coming in with a price tag of uh, 8800 and we got Clay Guida coming in at 7,400. In terms of the odds, I think we've been seeing a little bit of action on Clay Guida as of late, but we got minus 225 on Johnson, plus 185 on uh, Guida. Now, I'm siding with Guida here, but again, it's a very low confidence pick because both guys could absolutely shit the bed here. With Clay Guida, you know, when he goes out there and wins, like the last time he won against uh, BJ Penn, he put up 81 points. Um, against Joe Lozon, puts up 112 points. Eric Cope, 92 points. Uh, but then when he's losing, obviously, uh, you know, putting up 33 points against Bobby Green last time around. But I think this is a fight that he can go out there and get the takedowns against Michael Johnson, grind him up against the cage, not allow Johnson to get comfortable enough to really get his striking going. Because that's Michael Johnson's bright spot. You know what I mean, like he is the most talented fighter with a 19 and 16 record easily. The guy's hands are amazing. He's very uh, methodical with his striking, but he just has these moments and times where he just has uh, has a slip up, has a brain fart. You know what I mean, his last fight against Tiago Moises goes out there and lights this guy up for the first five minutes, and then within 26 seconds of the next round, gets heel hooked. What? Stevie Ray fight. He gets grapple fucked for the entire third round by a striker. I don't know how you can trust a guy like Michael Johnson. He could absolutely come out here and look like a minus 500 favorite and dead Clay Guida in that first round, but uh, it's very, very hard to trust this guy. So, you know, to have a little bit of Michael Johnson on your lineups, I understand it. Um, but Clay Guida could absolutely rack up some numbers here as well in terms of, uh, you know, control time, uh, getting fight to the ground, maybe racking up a couple of significant strikes as well too. But uh, this is a very, very tough fight. I'd say this one and the O'Day Osborne and um, Jerome Rivera fights are the toughest ones to call for me. But uh, I do like uh, Clay Guida to win this fight via decision. Again, very, very low confidence pick. I, you guys are banging on me to, to give you guys a pick. Uh, and unfortunately, I got to give you guys Clay Guida. Uh, but I just can't trust Michael Johnson at this point. Next up, uh, we're moving on to the main card. We got a banger of a fight here. We got uh, Diego Fajera versus Benil Dariush. I'm very, very excited. Very, very excited for this fight. Easily the people's main event, as I like to call it. Um, you know, these guys did fight, I believe, over six years ago now, where Benio Darius did get the better of him. It was the third fight for Carlos Diego Fajera. Not to mention Diego Fajera was um, self-taught pretty much at that at that point. He was his own head coach. Uh, didn't really lean on any other training camps or anything like that to get uh, to get solid um, advice or anything like that. And he was undefeated coming into the UFC. So you know, why fix what's not broken, right? That's that's probably what he was thinking. 
But when you saw him in the Benio Dariush fight, you saw he needed to fix it because it was definitely broken after that. And what did he do after that fight? He goes out there, joins camps with uh, Fortis MMA. And uh, the more you guys watch me, the more you guys know that I'll bring up that that team's name as I feel like they're, they're one of the more unheralded uh, MMA gyms in the in the country or in the world. You know I mean, head coach Save Sayud is an absolute monster. He's doing such good work with a lot of his fighters. Uh, he really allowed Uriah Hall to change his game and, and make him a more confident fighter and comfortable fighter. And I think he's doing the exact same thing here with Diego Ferreira, who's a very skilled fighter himself too. Now, we saw in their first fight, uh, Benio Darius was able to control him, really shut down his game. Whereas uh, Diego Ferreira, on the other end, he looked a little bit uncomfortable on the feet, you know, mainly a jiu-jitsu guy at that point in time. But he just, like, he, he looked stiff. He did not look comfortable on the feet at all. Now, fast forward five years, and the guy looks amazing. He's on a six-fight winning streak, um, you know, absolutely just out-pressuring and outpacing guys, staying in their face, not allowing them to get their game off. And I think that's uh, very crucial here for him against Benio Darius. Again, we also see him very comfortable on the feet now too, hopping around a little bit more, changing stances, throwing combination, throwing head kicks, not really relying too much on his BJJ black belt other than his fight against Anthony Pettis, which was a glaring flaw that he could take advantage of. And he absolutely did take advantage of it there. Um, but he's he's going out there and outstriking guys like Mirabek Taisumov, who in my opinion was at that time a very high level guy that a lot of people are thinking had championship potential himself too. I do want to quickly just pull up uh, historically what Benio Darius, or sorry, not Benio Darius, but uh, what um, uh, Diego Ferreira has been putting up in terms of numbers uh, during the streak. So he got knocked out by Dustin Poirier, and since then. Uh, beats Olivier Bombers, he puts up 81 points. Beats Jared Gordon, knocks him out in uh, a minute and 58 seconds. Racks up 60 strikes thrown <laughs> and knocks him out in a minute and, uh, and 58 seconds. Racks up 112 points. Uh, knocks out Kyle Nasser in the second round. Racks up 110 points. Uh, decisions, Rustam Habilov hits 65 points, but does a really good job in that fight in terms of nullifying the guy, the takedowns that were coming his way, as well as uh, just staying in this guy's face and just making him uncomfortable. Mirabek Tysonov racks up 75 points, and then Anthony Pettis obviously finishes him. I believe that was the first round finish, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Might have been early second round, but uh, yeah, racks up 106 points there. I'm expecting closer to that 75 to 70. 75 to 85 point range for Diego Fajera here. I think it's going to be a great fight back and forth. But my concern here would be the game plan that Benio tries to implement at this point in time. Like, um, we've seen a uh, uh, Jekyll and Hyde type of thing with with Benio as of late. So he himself is on a five-fight winning streak, uh, racking up 105 points against Thiago Moises where he grapple-fucked him for 15 minutes. The Drew Dober fight where he submitted him. Uh, Frank Camacho fight, he submitted him. Jakar Close, absolutely amazing fight, knocks him out in the second round. And then the Scott Holtzman fight knocks him out as well too. It's weird, the, the evolution of ben, Benio Darius we've seen is just like, after he got knocked out by Alexander Hernandez, he goes out there and plays the fight as safely as possible by just out-grappling Thiago Moises. I think he accrued over 13 minutes of control time in that fight. And then the Drew Dober fight, doesn't mind striking a little bit, eventually submits him. Um, was having some trouble on the feet there, but we do know what Drew Dober's uh, currently been on, so he's a very skilled fighter himself. Um, the the Jukar close fight and the Scott Holtzman fight could have easily have gone the other way too in terms of he was just throwing caution to the wind. Luckily for him, he was the one that uh, was able to be durable enough to take the shots and then eventually knock out his opponents. Uh, I wonder how that's going to work here against a guy like Benil. Now, Benil only been knocked out by Dustin Poirier. 
uh, statistically, I don't think he's even been knocked down uh, outside of that one fight. Uh, you know, he did get hurt a little bit by Mirabek Tysonov, didn't get dropped, got hurt. Same thing against Kyle Nelson, but that was a, an issue with Kyle Nelson where he came in on short notice, similar to Justin James when he fought Frank Camacho, comes on short notice, knows he has a compromised gas tank, so let me go put it on this guy as quickly as I can, try to knock him out if I'm successful, yay. If I'm not, I get another couple cracks in the UFC regardless, right? So, um, yeah, with with uh, Diego Fajeda here, I, I, I just love his new style. I just I think he's going to make it very uncomfortable for Benio here. If Benio wants to go out there and throw caution to the wind, I think it's a bad choice, as I believe we've seen him start to slow down a little bit. But luckily for him, he's still able to go out there and get the finish some of these times. But it's going to be very, very tough against a guy like Diego Fajeda, who's not going to allow him to get set, who's not going to allow him to get comfortable. And he might be the one going out there and controlling him and grappling him uh, and, and just taking home a decision victory. He could possibly be live for a late finish here, depending on what kind of Benio Darius we see as well. So uh, I, I like Diego Fajeda here. Personally, I make I made a bet on him at minus 120. I think there's some good value here. Uh, close fight. I will absolutely admit it's a close fight, but I'm going to be leaning with a guy that I've seen more improvements from. Maybe not as fun and chaotic as an as entertaining as a guy like Benio Darius who's been getting all these crazy knockouts but he's playing with so much fire in those situations that it's eventually going to catch up to him whereas I see the style of Benio, um, Carlos Diego Ferreira being much more safe much more efficient and uh, a higher upside of getting a, a, a victory and getting your hand raised so I'll go with Diego Ferreira I think he'll again I think he'll notch between the 75 to 90 point range um uh, again, it all depends on uh, Darius and, and his approach here. I don't think we'll see Darius as successful in terms of controlling him like he did in the first fight, as we're now seeing Diego Ferreira much more comfortable in the MMA world. Uh, and again, with this newfound uh, skill set that he's obtained since working with Save Sayud, I think it's going to be much more difficult for uh, Benny to get his game going. So I got Darius to win this fight via decision. Uh, and I think, uh, what, what's he at again? What's his number? Uh, we got... Fajera at 8,200, and we got Darius at 8,000. So, yeah, I think Darius is not a bad spot at the 8,200. I think he'll live up to his price tag, and he'll give us some solid value there. All right, let's move along. We got Cody Stamen taking on uh, UFC newcomer and short-notice replacement in Askar Askar. Uh, this is another one. Like Timur Valiev, I think Cody Stamen is one of those guys that will live up to his price tag, uh, which I believe is one of the highest on the night. Uh, sorry, Cody, Cody Sandhagen's the highest. We got 9,200 on Cody Stamen, and we got um, ba, 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 Askar Askarov at 6,700. Yeah, I just don't see what Askar has for this guy at all. Like, uh, I'd say Hail Mary knockout, not even that. Like, Cody Stamen, uh, never been knocked out in the UFC, um, has a solid chin of his own, has fought three way tougher strikers in his last three fights and shown a great chin, Song Yudong, um, Jimmy Rivera and Brian Keller, in my opinion, all hit way harder than Askar Askar. And uh, and Askar's game mainly has been like keeping his opponents on the outside, but he's only going to have a one-inch height advantage here on Stamen. I think he has a couple-inch reach advantage on uh, in terms of the reach, but I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue here for Stamen, who was preparing for a guy that had 10.5 inches already on him in terms of reach. So Stamen's normally the guy at the reach disadvantage, but it doesn't, make a matter, it doesn't matter to him at all because he's a wrestler first, so he's going to be able to hit those takedowns when it comes to him. And uh, he is, in my opinion, one of the better 
uh, strikers that have a wrestling background. He throws great kicks, great versatility of strikes. Uh, doesn't mind mixing it up with like teeps to the leg. Uh, great body work as well too. The guy's, in my opinion, is one of the great, better all-around fighters. And I do think he has like top potential, but uh, he just comes up short against these guys that have him slightly beat in other uh, in aspects of the MMA game. But uh, this Oscar Oscar guy, I just don't think he has anything here for uh, Cody Stamen. Again, mainly a striker, had shown off a, a little bit more of his MMA game in his last fight against Kevin Worth. I believe that was back in October or September, I should say. Um, but again, it was a fight where we just it didn't really show me anything that could go out there and beat a guy like Stamen. He's not going to take Stamen down. He's not going to control Stamen on the ground. And I don't think he's going to knock out Stamen either. So I think Stamen could definitely go out there and put up uh, similar numbers to, we, to what we saw when he fought uh, Terry on Ware. Uh, I do want to pull that up for you guys real quick. But he fought Terion Ware, which was his first UFC fight. And that's kind of like the 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 category that I'm lumping Askar Askar into. So when he fought Terion Ware, he put up 126 points. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I think he'll be able to hit takedowns here. I think he'll be able to control it pretty much everywhere. And we should see him land, you know, closer to the 100 to 110-ish range. I don't know if he'll finish him, but we'll definitely get enough work from him in terms of takedowns, uh, uh, significant strikes, and uh, control time to warrant that high price tag on him. So I got Mr. Cody Stamen to win this fight via decision. Uh, next up, we got Alessandro Pantoja versus Manel Cape. I love this fight. This is a wonderful fight. So Cape's coming in on uh, uh, in his first UFC fight here. Uh, let me just get you guys the salaries real quick. We got Pantoja at 8,300 and Cape at 7,900. I think both guys are live for a finish here. I think uh, the deficiencies that we see on the ground from Cape could be a huge advantage here for uh, Alessandro Pantoja, who's a very high-level black belt himself too. He looks decent in the first round on the on the on the feet, but then it seems like cardio starts to catch up to him later in fights. Like he's not uh, as reactive with the striking defense, which could be an issue here when he's fighting a guy like Cape, who's just very quick to the punch, uh, very explosive, uh, has decent power in his hands as well too. And uh, if you know Askar Askarov is going out there and kind of lighting up uh, Pantoja on the feet in the third round, I think Manel Cape will be very live in doing the same thing and possibly knocking him out as well. So that could absolutely be a be an issue for uh, for Mr. Pantoja here. However, I do think he'll get be successful in getting this fight to the ground, and uh, either he gets an early submission or I think he could at least rack up two rounds of control time uh, and then eventually pull off a decision victory uh, if he does end up dropping that third round. But I think he's very live for an early submission here uh again a high level black belt cape is a brown belt as well if i'm not mistaken however i don't think it just it shows as much like we saw his fight against aluka sasaki who's a former ufc fighter actually fought pantoja as well too and pantoja and uh, i believe i do want to confirm this but pantoja went out there and submitted him with relative ease as well too so uh that just shows you if you want to do a little bit of mma math not something that i uh promote but yeah, he goes out there and uh, submits Luka Sasaki in two minutes. You know what I mean? So I, I like Pantoja here. Uh, I think the, the UFC bright lights might be a little bit too much for Cape at this point in time, even though he did have some big fights over there in uh, in Risen in Japan. Uh, but uh, this is a different beast with the UFC and obviously a different level of skill that you're going up against as well. So I got Pantoja. I got him to win via first round submission. Uh, and I, I think he's a, a solid play at that price line as well too. Cape is absolutely live for a knockout finish of his own. So don't be surprised if you see if this fight does get pushed a little bit later if Cape does go on to knock him out in the second or third round. All right, let's move on. We got Corey Sanhagen taking on UFC legend Frankie Edgar. And like I said earlier in this episode, highest price tag here is Corey Sanhagen at 9,400. And then we got Frankie Edgar all the way down at 6,800. Now, I see this fight going 15 minutes. I'm... 
and the only reason I say that is I was very, very impressed with the amount of uh, durability that we saw from Frankie Edgar in his last fight against Pedro Munoz. That was a fight where everybody thought it was a foregone conclusion that Pedro Munoz was going to go out there and knock him out. And he didn't. He had 25 minutes. He landed a bunch of significant strikes, but he just was not able to get the job done. And that really, uh, I think, surprised a lot of people. Frank Edgar ends up getting his hand raised, putting up 94 points in a decision victory, but showed off great durability, great footwork, great movement, and great combinations as well, too, which allowed him to, uh, you know, again, rack up the points and uh, rack up the significant strikes and get his hand raised that night. Corey Sandhagen is a little bit of a different beast, though, because um, with Pedro Munoz, you're getting a bit of a walking punching bag. Like, he's not a guy uh, that has crazy footwork. He literally just moves forward and just tries to throw bombs and a couple leg kicks here and there because he just doesn't mind getting takedown. Uh, or taken down, takedown, that's a horrible uh, slip up right there, either way, with him getting taken down, uh, that's his role, Pedro Munoz is a high level black belt himself too, has a nasty guillotine which he's pretty much ready to throw on anybody who tries to uh, try to take him down, uh, so he just resorts to marching forward, no real method to his madness, just trying to knock you out, and unfortunately for him it didn't work against uh, Frankie Edgar, which is why Edgar was able to just kind of dance circles around him and just land his own shots and get out of the way and get his hand raised, Corey Sandhagen on the other hand, very unorthodox striker, very unorthodox movement, uh, carries his range very well, um, you know, great boxer, great kickboxer, uh, nifty on the ground, even though he got tapped by Aljo two fights ago, Aljamain Sterling is just a different monster when it comes to the jiu-jitsu game, nasty uh, power, nasty grip strength, and it, you know, showed it pretty much right off the bat against Corey Sandhagen. Now, that's where the issue lies in terms of the takedown defense of Corey. I think it's uh, very suspect. I think that we'll see Edgar complete a couple of takedowns here. However, I think he'll have trouble keeping him down. However, what if he doesn't? What if he does rack up a bit of control time, rack up a little bit of damage on the ground, and uh, you know possibly steal this fight? So I think he is a bit of a live dog here. I think the line is just a little bit too wide, especially from a betting perspective, because we got minus... Uh, 400 on Corey Sanding, plus 325 on uh, Frankie Edgar. And then obviously the the salaries with Frankie Edgar being all the way down at 6,800. I think he could absolutely uh, come through uh, as a solid uh, underdog here and rack up a, a solid amount of points. Because even when he's going to a decision, like uh, his decision fight against Max Holloway, puts up 46 points. Not too shabby, but you know it'd be nice if he was able to get the victory there. But also that was over a 25-minute period. Um... Yeah, I, I'm trying to justify a reason to think that Corey Sanhagen is going to live up to that 9,400. But I, I'm skeptical on whether he'll actually finish Frankie here. I think we'll see more so him kind of just pick apart Frankie from the outside, land the better shots from the outside, finish him. I just don't know. I don't know if we'll, we'll get the finish. So I don't know if he'll be able to live up to that 9,400. Uh, so that's my, that's my question mark here. Uh, obviously, it would be smart to have a little bit of uh, Corey Sandhagen, but also a little bit of Frankie because he's definitely live for a finish here. And as long as his chin holds up, if this fight goes 15 minutes, it's going to be a close fight. It's definitely going to be a close fight. So I'll pick Sandhagen via decision, but I'm not mad at anybody trying to seek value here on Frankie Edgar because I do think he's a solid spot as well, too. But I'm going with Corey Sandhagen. I think he's just going to beat him to the punch, land the better shots, uh, and, and win this fight via decision. All right, that brings us to our main event. We got uh, the 13th fight. Uh, it seems like there's a ton of fights from this card, but I do want to get get through all of them and give you guys my best take on each one. So here we got Alistair Overing against Alexander Volkov. Uh, in terms of salaries, we got Volkov coming in at the 8,600 range, 
and we got Overeem coming in at 7,600. Uh, in terms of odds, we got minus 200 now for Mr. Alexander Volkov and plus 170 for Overeem. It seems like there's money starting to roll in on Mr. Volkov, and I kind of get it, even though I am picking Overeem to win this fight. Now, a lot of people are banging on the fact that, uh, you know, Volkov should be able to go out there and knock out a guy like Alistair Overeem. However, I do want to bring up the fact that I think that the durability thing of Overeem is being a little bit overblown here. Um, the only two guys to truly knock him out on the feet, Jerzinho Rosenstrike and Francis Ngannou. Those two guys alone, in my opinion, are top three knockouts or knockout artists in the heavyweight division. We got Francis Ngannou, we got Derek Lewis, who holds a record for most KO finishes in the UFC, and then we got uh, Jerzinho Rosenstrike, who just punches like a mammoth himself, right? So he's not getting knocked out to those guys. It's fight against Curtis Blades. He gets taken down, ragged all on the ground, and then just elbowed to just death, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, beautiful finish from there. But again, not a one-punch knockout or anything like that. Just got absolutely mauled on the ground. And then champion Stipe Miocic, uh, who you know does a good job in terms of surviving his own onslaught and then finishing uh, via ground and pound later in that fight too. It's been a long time since we saw him got knocked out by Ben Rothwell way back in September of 2014. So we're talking close to seven years now since he's been like legit knocked out by somebody who's not, you know, touch of death, uh, Francis Ngannou or touch of death, uh, Jerzinho Rosenstrike. Um, he did get dropped by Walt Harris, but that's kind of Walt Harris's game where he's able, if he's able to get you out of there quick, great. But if he's not, then it starts to catch up to him. And that's how Overeem was able to, to get through that. So I like the, the awareness uh, and the durability of Overeem there were uh, in terms of knowing that he got rocked, but staying active enough uh, to stay out of bad positions. And he eventually, you know, reversed the position, got on top of Walt Harris and started banging his brains into the canvas. So, um, yeah, so he gives up the first two rounds to Augusto Sakai, and then uh, I'm not sure if it was just a gas tank dump for Sakai or Overeem just started hitting those takedowns with more uh, emphasis. But after that third round, that's where we saw Overeem really start to take it to him and then eventually get that fifth round finish. Now, a statistic I want to throw out for you guys is, uh, so the 13 fights that Alistair Overeem had in the UFC leading up to his fight against Curtis, Blade, he, Curtis Blades, he only completed three takedowns. Since then, he's had five fights, and he's completed seven takedowns. So we're seeing a much more refined game in Alistair Overeem, especially 60-plus fights into his MMA career. Um, and, and considering how much he's seen over his career, it's great to see him at this point of his career still making changes and adding new tools to his toolkit. And uh, it's working out for him, for sure. Like in his last two fights alone, we're talking about 104 points against Augusto Sakai, 126 points against uh, Walt Harris. Uh, gets knocked out by Jerzino Rosenstruck with four seconds left in that fight. Four seconds. He almost had that one in the bag. Unfortunately for him, Jerzinho pulls it out there. The Alexo Olenek put, puts up uh, 114 points. Sergey Pavlovich knocks him out. I believe that was the first round, 108 points. So earlier in his career, he's landing. when he's winning, he's landing in the, the 90s, the, the, the 50s, even in one of his fights. That was his Roy Nelson fight. Uh, but we're seeing like higher or higher scores from him now because he is implementing implementing that takedown game, getting some control time, landing some significant strikes there, and even finishing these guys later in fights. Uh, Volkov is susceptible to getting taken down, obviously. And I'm not just saying that just off of his Curtis Blades fight because Curtis Blades easily the best wrestler in the heavyweight division, right? So you can't say that Overeem's going to go out there and put on a heavyweight uh, Curtis Blades type pace on him. But we have seen very nifty and crafty takedowns from Alistair Overeem in his last couple of fights, and I think that's going to be very important for him here. 
Um, what another caveat that's coming into this is that uh, last time around with Alexander Volkov, we saw him put on an extra 18 pounds coming in at the heavyweight limit, and a lot of people didn't know what to take away from that. And obviously, he goes out there and finishes Walt Harris. Um, so a lot of people are giving him solid uh, credentials and and solid praise for that. Whereas I think it could be a little bit different because one, I don't rate Walt Harris that high. I think that Walt Harris is a very flawed uh, heavyweight fighter. His best wins are against guys that aren't, aren't even in the UFC anymore. And I think that uh, a lot of people might be overblowing that performance from Alexander Volkov. How is that extra weight now going to affect him in a 25-minute fight? Because if he's not able to get over him out of there nice and early, I think the fight's going to get dragged on later. I think that weight, extra weight might catch up to him and we'll see the the, the pace and the pressure and the, the, the grinding, the new grinding style of Overeem really start to catch up to him. Like even if Overeem doesn't get the fight to the ground, he still does a good job of controlling his opponents up against the cage, landing his knees from the clinch position, which are, you know, there were a, a, a signature move of him from back in the day and he's still using it to a very high effective uh, levels at this point in time. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I lean the dog here. I do think Overeem wins this fight. I'm trying to see whether you know the public's going to push this line to the plus 200 range for Overeem because I might have, be forced to make a play there. Uh, yes, I am a little bit concerned about the potential durability issues. In my mind, I think they're a little bit overblown, but I do still have those those little bit uh, that little bit of reservation on Overeem here. But I do think he still wins this fight. I think he wins via decision, and that prop roughly around that plus 650, plus 700 is very, very, um, very, very appealing for sure. But uh, yeah, I got over him here. I think he wins this fight via decision. And I think he's going to be a sneaky play as well in terms of having somebody in the 7,000s that will come through and uh, especially go to a decision. All right, that's the full card breakdown. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. I will go through my last little couple of segments here. As you guys know, I like to go through my lock of the night uh, or at least lock of the night in terms of a guy that I'm going to have on the majority of my lineups, my dog of the night, fade of the night, sleeper of the night. Um, I'll also be adding a new uh, quick segment here, whether I think the main event is a stackable main event or not, because that's a question that I've been getting a lot after I did my first episode. And then I'll let you guys know my favorite player in each salary range. And then obviously I'll end off the episode with my monkey knife fight uh, tip of the of the week. All right, so my lock that I play, uh, the spot that I like the most is uh, Cody Stamen. Again, I believe he's coming in in that the um, 9200 range. Uh, and like I said in the breakdown, I think he, we're going to see a similar performance to what we saw him against uh, Terry Ware in his UFC debut, where he put up uh, close to 126 points. I think we'll see him clear that 100 point mark for sure. He's going to live up to his uh, his um, his salary here. And uh, yeah, I think that Askar Askar just doesn't have anything for this guy. So yeah, he's definitely worth that that change and that 9,200 mark. But uh, I think I, I fully expect him to go out there and get 100 plus points here against Askar Askar. Uh, my dog of the night is going to be Laura Procopio. I think uh, we only have that one sample size in terms of statistics uh, when she fought Carol Hosa. But even in defeat, she still went out there and put up 67 and a half points, even in a loss. However, I do think that she's very live for a submission victory here against Molly McCann. And even if she doesn't, she's going to be landing takedowns and she's going to be accruing control time. So at her price range, I do think that she's going to be very live here and be a very solid dog play. Uh, and that's a spot that I like uh, for a dog. In terms of fate of the night, I think I'm going to be going with Yusuf Zalal here, who's at 9,100. I think he's going to have a tough fight against Choi. I expect him to win, but even if he wins, I expect him to maybe score in the 50 to 60 point range. Um, you know, it's going to be tough to really get things going against Choi. 
who can make it very difficult for him on the feet. And if he's not successful in getting this fight to the ground, you know, Troy might end up looking like the guy that should be 9,100 instead of uh, Yusuf Zalal here. But I do think Zalal just grinds on him, maybe doesn't get the most amount of significant strikes or anything off, maybe accrues some decent control time. But I don't expect him to... to um, to rack up that many points here, especially at that 9,100 range. So I'll go with Yusuf Zalal as my fate of the night. My sleeper play of the night. Last time around, I give you guys Marina Rodriguez. She came through for me. She's a person that I actually bet on and actually cashed in on a bunch of props as well to KO pop, round two prop. But uh, this is one, it's it's a sleeper play of the night, but I'm actually, I don't think he's going to win. But if he does win, I think it would be very uh, a very low played fighter. And that's Frankie Edgar. I think he has a ton of upside in terms of getting takedowns, uh, significant strikes, and uh, you know accruing control time if he's successful in keeping Corey Sandhagen on the ground. But again, even at his price range, you know sixty eight hundred, I think that's a solid spot here. Uh, you know, given anybody else in that price range, I think Frankie Edgar has the best shot to pull off the upset and uh, you know give us a solid amount of points. Even in a defeat, I think if this fight goes to, to the decision, uh, we'll still see him go out there and put up a solid amount of points. So I like Frankie as my super play of the night. Again, it's it's. I hate giving you guys a sleeper play that I don't think is going to win. But again, I think he has high upside if he does end up winning, especially given the current price tag that he is. So my sleeper play of the night is going to be Frankie Edgar. Uh, stackable main event or not, I think it's a stackable main event. I think we're going to see this go 15 minutes. Uh, I think we'll see... Um, well, there's a small chance, in my opinion, that Volkov will finish him early. But if he's not able to get him out of there early, I do expect this fight to go 15 minutes. I expect Overeem to kind of control him for the majority of it. But we could get some solid strikes out of Volkov as well. Uh, some solid, Maybe even a takedown out of him too. Uh, but I do think it's a stackable main event that we'll see it uh, go to a decision. The odds don't indicate that it will go to a decision. But personally, just from a, a capping perspective, I think we will see it go that way. Uh, but yeah, yes, I do believe the main event is stackable here. All right. Uh, favorite plays in each range in the 6,000 range we got we only have three fighters we have uh, Askar Askar Frankie Edgar and Martin Day I think the best spot in that is my sleeper which is uh, Frankie Edgar in the 7,000 is my favorite play is Alistair Overeem I think he goes out there and gets a decision victory uh, you know ton, ton of control time ton of significant strikes uh, and you're talking about that uh, over 25 minutes yeah I like me some Alistair Overeem one guy that I will throw out there at 7,000 is Justin James um, again, I, I think Devontae Smith knocks him out, but he could absolutely break the slate here if he's the one getting the knockout himself. And he's very, very live for a first round knockout. Not to mention, if you guys have access to it, Justin James round one plus 600. I think that's a crazy line and worth a little bit of a sprinkle as well, too. All right. Uh, in the 8,000s, I got Carol Hosa. Uh, maybe not live for a finish here, but I can depend on her to go out there and throw over 200 and something strikes, 260, 280, whatever it is, and land a solid amount of them. In her last two fights alone, she's averaging 110 uh, uh, DraftKings points. And uh, I think that she'll come through with another similar similar performance. Maybe land a couple of takedowns as well too. But we know we're going to get an output, and we know we're going to get volume out of her, which is why in that eight thousand range, and specifically she's currently at uh, eighty seven hundred. I think we'll get a solid amount of points from her this time around, uh, especially against a very hittable, in my opinion, uh, Jocelyn Edwards. So my favorite play in the eight thousands is going to be Carol Hosa. In the nine thousands, we got a couple guys. Uh, what do we got? We got Corey Sanagan, Tamora Valiev, Cody Stamen, uh, Devontae Smith, Yusuf Zalal, and Mike Rodriguez. The spot that I like the most is Cody Stamen. 
He's my lock of the night, like I said. Uh, I think he's a great spot here. Askar Askar has nothing for him. I would be absolutely stunned if we see Askar Askar pull off the, the upset here. But I think Stamen absolutely lives up to his price tag, goes out there, wins his fight whichever way he wants. And even if it goes to a decision, I expect him to put up similar numbers like he did against Tarion Ware, where he put up 125 uh, points. I'm expecting, you know, a 110 plus points here at least from Cody Stamen. So, uh, yeah, he's my favorite play in the 9,000 range. All right, ending off the episode, we got my monkey knife fight tips. Uh, I'm going with Cody Stamen to land more than 48 and a half significant strikes. And I'm going with Devontae Smith to land less than 48 and a half significant strikes. I'm expecting either one of those guys to get knocked out, which is why we're not going to need 48 strikes. We'll have plenty of uh, surplus there, but I don't expect that fight to go too long. Uh, and I think they're being very generous in terms of how many strikes they're expecting Devontae to land there. Uh, so yeah, I got Stamen over uh, 48 and a half and Devontae Smith less than 48 and a half. And that's the episode. Shout out again to the sponsor, Monkey Knife Fights. Uh, promo code is UFC50. Uh, link is in the description below. Make sure you guys check that out. And then make sure you check out all my stuff as well, too. Links are in the description below. Shout out to all the fellas. Appreciate you guys welcoming me with open arms. Hopefully, more of these uh, plays will hit. Hopefully, the sleeper comes through. I mean, that would be nice. Two weeks in a row. That would be great for sure. Shout, shout out to my guy, Salvechi, for bringing me on once again. And uh, let's keep this train moving, baby. I can't wait to to keep these fights going on. We got eight straight weekends, like I said, at the top of the show. Eight straight weekends of fights. So I'll see you guys next week. Again, you guys can check me out on my channel as well, uh, MMALOTN. Check me out on Twitter at MMALOTN and on IG at MMALOTN. On behalf of myself and Salvechi, good luck this weekend, and I'll see you guys next week.